0: again, Biathlon fans, and welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly, and I hope all of you had a wonderful holiday. Now it's back to action as both the World Cup and the IBU Cup are back underway in Europe. A special thanks to our Heartbeat sponsors, Aarons, the King of Snow, Maloya, outfitting the U.S. Biathlon team, and Paul Smith's College, offering education and sport training in the heart of New York's Olympic region. While many of us were celebrating the holidays, a record field of over 80 athletes gathered at the Mount Itasca Winter Sports Center in north-central Minnesota for trials events that will send by athletes to vital development competitions from the upcoming Youth Olympic Games in Pyeongchang, South Korea, to the IBU Youth and Junior World Championships in Estonia. This week on Heartbeat, we welcome back U.S. Biathlon Director of Athlete Development, Tim Burke, to recap the Mount Itasca Trials and to also give us an overview of U.S. Biathlon's Athlete Development Program. It seems like just yesterday that Tim was a prominent World Cup biathlete and a World Championship silver medalist from 2013. Today, he's part of a team with Director of Sport Development John Farah and High Performance Leader Lowell Bailey, who are revolutionizing the athlete pipeline for U.S. Biathlon. As a part of the interview, Tim reviews his role in U.S. Biathlon's 2030 Strategic Plan for Sustained Competitive Excellence. Now, just a few years into that plan, you can already see how the sport is changing in America, with the record fields at Mount Itasca a really great indicator. Now let's head out to Lake Placid for an insightful conversation with Tim Burke on Heartbeat. This week, we want to welcome Tim Burke back to Heartbeat. Tim, good to have you back with us. Tom, thanks for having me. How's your season going so far? We'll get into details, but just in general, how are things going as we reach that kind of third point of the year? Yeah, so far so good. We've definitely
1: faced some challenging weather conditions here in the beginning of the year. I know we're not the only ones here on the East Coast with that. But uh, overall, we've been able to hold some quality races and looking forward to the rest of the season here.
0: Cool. Yeah, it has been a weird winter all over the place. But uh, let's start out. We, we talked to you here on Heartbeat a couple of years ago. And uh, if you could just give us a little update on your role in athlete development with U.S. Biathlon.
1: Yeah, so my, my role with U.S. Biathlon, my title is the Director of Athlete Development. However, we're a very small organization, so titles are one thing, but we all at US Biathlon do a little bit of everything. So I work very closely with Lowell in high performance, closely with John Farah in sport development, but my main role is kind of working in the middle of the US Biathlon pipeline. My main job is really focusing on those athletes in the middle of our pipeline who are coming up, ensuring that they have the, the opportunities and what they need to succeed in this part of their career so they can make a smooth transition into the senior circuit.
0: Tim, you guys are a couple of years into your 2030 strategic plan, one that really looks towards sustained competitive excellence. Now that you've dug into this for a couple of years, can you talk a little bit about the plan itself and how that's being executed across the organization?
1: Yeah, so, you know, our our plan of sustained competitive excellence, so what does that mean? That means taking us from an organization that has occasionally had some, some success, for sure, that we're all very proud of, but we want to have that more consistently. And to have that more consistently, we need to be more professional. We need more athletes in our pipeline. And ultimately, we need to be able to field teams on the World Cup, at World Championships, at the Olympics, where we can fold a full team of athletes who are capable of stepping onto that podium. If we can do that, we will finally win that elusive that elusive Olympic medal, but it all starts at the bottom. It all starts with grassroots. It all starts at our clubs. It all starts down there building those numbers so that we have athletes, enough athletes coming through our pipeline that can rise to the top.
0: One of the things that has really struck me in the last couple of years as you've started to add staff a little bit, uh, as you mentioned earlier, John Farron, what he's doing with clubs, what Lowell's doing in high performance, and you run right in that very important middle section. But uh, the three of you really have formed quite a good team in trying to work this thing up together, haven't you?
1: Yeah, we certainly have. It's been fantastic working with them. Obviously, I've got a lot of experience working with Lowell. We were on on the team together as athletes for, for a long, long time. John is someone I've, I knew growing up as a kid. You know, John is a Lake Placid guy as well. It's been great to have him on the team. John came in with just a tremendous amount of energy. Also a lot of great experience, not only from Nordic skiing, but from triathlon and, and para as well. So he's someone who's just very well-rounded and it was great to add someone from kind of outside of biathlon, someone to come in with, with fresh ideas and fresh energy. And it's been a, been a pleasure to work with him.
0: How is all of this beneficial for developing athletes? You work with those athletes who have found the sport. They're starting to move their way up. How does all of this work to really help them and provide them with a better pathway?
1: It starts with just being more professional here in the middle of our pipeline. One thing we've done since I've been with US Pipeline is we restarted our junior national team program. So that program I feel is incredibly important for our best developing athletes coming up. And what we do with that program is really try and provide those athletes, with it's essentially a, a mini national team program. So those athletes have a dedicated coach who's always there for them, ready to work with them. They have training camps throughout the year. But maybe most importantly is we bring those athletes together to train together, to push each other, to learn from each other. So as well as a junior national team, we also have other programs such as our regional elite camps, our elite national camp as well, trying to build more and more of these opportunities for our athletes to, to really bring them together. Learn from our best coaches and learn from each other.
0: Let's take a look at the evolution of athlete development. And again, this has been really intriguing for me over the last few years to look at the different pathways. By which people come into biathlon. I don't know that there's athletes who actually start in biathlon. Maybe there are, but uh, it's we're, we're starting to see different pathways coming over from athletes who have some cross-country uh, experience. So talk about what you've seen in the evolution of athlete development, particularly comparing it to how the sport was when you were coming through the pipeline.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest differences right now is compared to when I came to the pipeline is we're seeing a lot more of these crossover Nordic athletes transitioning into biathlon. And it's not, it's not only true for our country, but it's true for others as well. You've seen other countries have a lot of success like Sweden, Germany, Slovenia right now. you have seen a lot of countries have this success with bringing over Nordic athletes. And we, we wanna be a part of that, and we have been a part of that. If you look at our national team right now, if you look at the World Cup that just happened this morning, many of those athletes racing for us, racing in that US uniform, our athletes that came over from cross country at a pretty late age, a lot of them came after they finished college. You know, they were successful collegiate skiers and they wanted to try something different. And we tried to provide those opportunities for them in Bathlon. And that's one thing that we are continuing to really focus and even double down on here at US Biathlon is making sure that we have a really well-developed pathway for these talented Nordic skiers who want to give Bathlon a chance.
0: Let's dive into that a little bit further. And I know that the three of you, uh, Lowell, John, and yourself, you formed this nucleus of uh, trying to build the sport up and give athletes the opportunity. Do you guys strategize on on how you go about with recruitment to entice athletes to come into the biathlon world?
1: Absolutely. That's something that, that we talk a lot about. And it's something that's changing. And we're trying new things. We want to get better at it. So to give you an example, before, how this used to work for US Bathlon is there was really kind of a, a one-size-fits-all program. So no matter where an athlete was at in their development, no matter where they lived in the country, what ski programs they were involved in, we had one program, if you want to be a athlete here's exactly how it's going to work for you. We've decided that's, that's not the way forward. We felt like we uh, pushed too many good athletes away with that model. So we're trying to evolve now into training programs that meet the athletes where they're at. And really looking at each athlete's individual situation and saying, how can we create a program for this athlete that's going to, one, make it attractive for them to give biathlon a try, and two, not be too intimidating, right? It's, these are athletes that have they've called themselves Nordic skiers their entire lives. We don't want to just in one day ask them, tomorrow you're a biathlete. That's, it's a transition, right? And we want to be there to try and make that transition as smooth as possible now.
0: I want to give a couple of examples, and these may or may not be perfect, and I think these are one sit-in a way of kind of bypass your development system. But we had Grace Castingay and also Margie Freed on the podcast a few weeks back, and it's really remarkable to see what they've been able to do in a short amount of time in making that transition.
1: Absolutely. Those two have been incredible. It'll be really fun to see what they do in the future. But there are two great examples of how we like to see things operate now. So, If you look at Margie, you know, Margie is in Soldier Hollow racing at U.S. Cross Country Nationals today and really competing for one of those World Cup spots uh, in Nordic for the Minnesota World Cup. And we absolutely encourage that. We want to see Margie there. We want to see her racing cross country. Ultimately, of course, we want to see her back in biathlon. but we recognize that Nordic is still something that's really important for her, and she should absolutely continue to chase that as well. And the same with Grace. You know, Grace is skiing for St. Mike's. I know she has a pretty busy schedule now with international competitions. I'm not sure what her carnival schedule is going to look like, but if she wants to go back and race carnivals, you know, we're also here to, here to support that as well.
0: Yeah, it, it is really awesome to see that, and it adds an exciting new element to the sport. You, you just concluded your very important trials events up at Mount Itasca. Uh, before we dive into the event itself, talk a little bit about Mount Itasca and the importance of that venue up in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, Mount Itasca is definitely an important venue for us. They've hosted a lot of trials, events for us in the past. And we've also seen a ton of athletes from Mount Itasca, from the Minnesota area, come on to our national teams and Olympic teams in the past. And I certainly think that's something we're going to continue to see in the future.
0: How was your participation at the trials this year? Participation at these trials was
1: our best ever. We had 80 athletes competing there in Mount Itasca. To give you an example, last year we had about 55, and the year before a pretty similar number. The numbers in the past two years were actually tracking up a little bit from previous trials. So to come in this year, going from 55 to 80 athletes, I'm not great at math, but uh, that's 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 a pretty big <laughs> percent increase. There, we're really happy with that. What do you attribute it to? A couple of things. I attribute it to one. Can't deny that this was also the Youth Olympic Games trials. However. The youth Olympic Games, the age range for a youth Olympic Games athlete falls right in the middle of our youth athlete age range. So it's not like we were drawing from a wider age range to get these 80 athletes. We are drawing from the exact same age range that we typically do for our trials. But that allure of a uh, you know international competition, especially one named the Olympic Games, certainly, certainly has a lot of power to to draw kids to come out and try out for those spots. But I also think it's related to other things we're doing in development. You know, we're trying to run more professional camps during the summer. We have our regional elite camps, our national elite camps, and those are limited camps. Those are camps that we can't just have an open invite for. We have to be selective when inviting kids to those camps. And one of the ways to get invited to those camps, probably the best way, is to show up at our biggest national level events, like the one we just had in Mount Itasca, to go there, show how competitive you are. And then whether you make a team or not, you still leave that door open for camp invites next summer. And I think having that program in place is really encouraging kids to, to come out and show up and make the effort to travel to these events.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about Mount Itasca. This is a pretty important event. Uh, and I get a sense that Mount Itasca has a lot of pride in its venue and its facility. And what does it mean for a program like that to host a trials event that is this important for U.S. Biathlon?
1: It certainly means a lot to communities to host these events, especially uh, a place like Mount Itasca with its history in ho- hosting this event before. Just one one quick story of, of why I think it's so important for these clubs to host events like this. The chief of competition there, Carl Norgren, also coaches the youth athletes there right at Mount Itasca. And he told a story after the competition of some of his younger athletes, these are 12, 13-year-olds, running up to him after the race and saying, can you believe how fast those guys and girls were? Did you see the techniques they were using out there on the course? And Carl was thrilled because he could see that excitement in his athletes who got to witness the best junior athletes in the country. there racing in their hometown. Not only is that great for the organizers, but it's especially good for those young kids who get to come out and watch that. And we certainly hope that inspires them to be a part of that in the future.
0: I think that's something that a lot of us don't really think about, but I know it's deeply embedded into your plan, but just seeing that speed. And I know as I interview some of the athletes who get over to the World Cup, Grace talked about this, just the level of intensity, the speed that you see every time you take it up a notch. It Really, you need to understand that, don't you?
1: You absolutely do. And that's that's why I think it's so important that we continue to push to get these events, international events especially, into the U.S., like having, that, having the World Cup in Soldier Hollow this winter, having two IBU Cup events in 2026 in Lake Placid, those things are really important for our development as well. It's not just about building clubs. It's also about getting these events here to the U.S., letting our athletes see those. And I'm convinced if they are able to watch those events, they, they will be
0: inspired. So what was at stake at Mount Itasca? Mount Itasca
1: was a trials event for a lot of different events for all, nearly all of our uh, junior international trips coming up this winter. So we had this as a trials event for the Youth Olympic Games, where we selected three women and three men for that team. It was a trials event for our Junior Cup and Junior Open European Championships trip. That event, we selected five women and five men for that team. And then for our Youth and Junior World Championships, which takes place at the end of the winter in Estonia. And for that, for that team, we have a total of eight women and eight men. So quite a few international trip spots were uh, up for grabs there in Mount Itasca.
0: A lot of those I know are held annually, but the Youth Olympic Games is an exception to that. It's every four years. And as you mentioned earlier, it's a very narrow band of ages that are eligible for that event. How does the Youth Olympic Games factor into your overall development picture? Is it a a big carrot for athletes to seek to qualify for them if if they happen to fit into the age band? I'll
1: say this. I wish we did the Youth Olympic Games every year because I think it's that big of a draw. When you look, again, back to those numbers, having 80 kids, having that huge increase in percent in Mount Itasca, I, I know a big part of that was the Youth Olympic Games. So it, it absolutely is a big draw. Kids want to participate in that. They're, they're willing to travel to try out for those, for that event. If anything, I wish we could have more of them.
0: And give us a little bit of intel on where the event is for folks who might not know this year.
1: Youth Olympic Games this year in Pyeongchang, South Korea, so the site of the 2018 Winter Olympics.
0: Are they using the Olympic venues? They are,
1: yes. They'll be using the same same venues from the Olympics, so I'm excited to get back there and see if anything's changed.
0: So what will the takeaway be? I imagine that in many ways it's similar to what they might take away at the Youth and Junior World Championships, but here you also have athletes from probably many more countries because there's more events. But what's the big takeaway for your athletes, your three men and women who will go to uh, Pyeongchang? What's the biggest takeaway for them?
1: The biggest takeaway I want them to have from there is I want them to leave there just incredibly motivated to continue pursuing bathlon at a high level. And I'm sure they will have that experience in Korea. You know, to be there at an event that's not only drawing the best athletes your age in the world for your sport, But to be there at an event where you have athletes from all different disciplines, from all over the world, is incredibly, incredibly motivating for these athletes, and I'm super excited for them to have this experience.
0: Who's the coach going on that trip? There will be three of us. So
1: I'll be on the trip, as well as Maddie Fanouf, the head coach of the uh, New York State Ski Education Foundation Biathlon Program, and also Garrett Garberich. Garrett is one of the coaches out in Soldier Hollow.
0: Were you there in 2018?
1: I was there in, in 2018. Yes, 2018 was, was my last Olympics.
0: Yeah, well, it'll be a good reunion for you. Uh, we're with Tim Burke from U.S. Biathlon. We're going to take a short show break, and we'll be right back and talk a little bit more about the importance of international competition and development. We'll be right back on Heartbeat. In each episode, Heartbeat brings you insightful stories about one of the most exhilarating of all Olympic sports— U.S. Biathlon thanks each of its sponsors that help us bring you each and every episode of the Heartbeat Podcast. Maloya is the official apparel provider of U.S. Biathlon. Thanks to Maloya, our team is outfitted in high-quality, beautiful apparel and race gear. Not only does the U.S. Biathlon team stand out, but we race in comfortable, breathable suits that inspire confidence. Check it out at maloyaclothing.com. As an official sponsor of U.S. Biathlon, Aarons is committed to supporting the growth of the sport in the USA. The so-called King of Snow is a global leader in snow removal equipment that keeps facilities and courses clear for training and competition. The Aarons Nordic Center in Brilliant, Wisconsin is an official U.S. Biathlon National Training Center, further proving Aarons' commitment to growing biathlon in America. You can learn more at aaronsnordic.com. As the official education partner of U.S. Biathlon, Paul Smith's College takes pride in the programs that it has established to offer athletes a college education and sports-specific training, all nestled in New York's Adirondacks. Its reputation and standing as a college aligns with U.S. Biathlon's goals to support collegiate biathletes as they strive for both academic and athletic success. From an outstanding trail network to its eight-point biathlon range, Paul Smith's College is a great environment for athletes who want a small college located in a sports-centric region. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Heartbeat. We're back with Tim Burke on Heartbeat, and Tim, just to continue the discussion uh, coming out of the Mount Itasca Trials, I want to explore a little bit more about the importance of international competition in development. I know everybody has, you know, the long-range plan of getting on the World Cup or getting to the Olympics, but in the development phase, how important is it to get out and about around the world, and what do the athletes take away from that experience?
1: I think the athletes take away a few really important things. One is you know what I've already touched on with the Youth, youth Olympic Games is just motivation. Seeing Bathon at such a high level, I think it's really motivating for our athletes. But most importantly, for our development athletes, it, it's a learning experience. You know they will get the chance and the opportunity to see the very best athletes, the very best athletes in the world at their age. I guarantee you, everyone leaving one of these international trips will have multiple things that they learned from being there, uh, whether it was being on course and skiing with some of these other skiers or, or seeing others on the range, they will learn things that they can go back home, work on those things, and come back better the next year.
0: I always like to look, too, at the cultural aspects, the logistical aspect of travel. I imagine for a lot of these kids, they haven't traveled internationally, so it's a whole new world. There's new situations on airplanes and transportation, and that's a completely different culture. How important is it to get comfortable there?
1: Biathlon is an international sport. If you're going to pursue it at a high level, you will spend a lot of time traveling, So the earlier you get used to that, the more comfortable you become with that at an earlier age, the better that is for your career in the long run.
0: Do you remember your first international trip?
1: Absolutely. I remember my first international trip was to Torsby, Sweden. It was a Scandinavian cup at the time it was called. I remember being incredibly nervous, but again, getting over there, having an amazing time and coming back motivated and really hungry for more.
0: We talked a little bit earlier about the youth Olympic Games. Can you give us a little preview of the Youth and Junior World Champs?
1: Yeah, so the Youth and Junior World Champs will be held in Otepe, Estonia. I've I've never been there myself, but I've heard great things about the venue. And they've held a lot of big international events there in the past. The event will take place at the end of February and the beginning of March. And it's it's a really big event. You know, in each age class there, youth and junior, you see typically close to 100 athletes competing. So it'll be really fantastic exposure for athletes to get over there and compete in an event of that size.
0: This is the same event that was at Soldier Hollow just two seasons ago. Uh, That was a good learning experience, I think, for a lot of our athletes because, again, they got to see the speed. They got to see all of the best international athletes right here on U.S. Snow.
1: Yeah, that that was a great event in Soldier Hollow. They did a, a fantastic job pulling that off. They ordered the right weather there for the, the entire time of the competitions. And yes, it was certainly a great experience for our athletes. Now it'll be a little bit different, quite a bit longer travel, a lot more logistics for, for me to work on. But in the end, it still will be a, a fantastic experience.
0: Are you going on that one as well? I will be there as well. Yes, great. Uh, as we wrap things up here, let's kind of look into the crystal ball a little bit. You have the plan for 2030 that is uh, in progress right now. You've seen some success over the last few years. Where do you see the future of athlete development at US Biathlon as you look out over the next two, four, six, eight years?
1: For me, it's important to continue to see this this growth that we're experiencing now. So the question is, you know, how can at US Biathlon how can we work? to continue to see these numbers increase like we have these past few years. You know, what opportunities can we provide that are going to attract kids to these events so they continue to grow so we draw from a a broader number? Other things that I look at that I think are really important that I would like to point out from this year, when we had these bigger numbers at trials, you know, when we look at the end result sheet from trials, it was really, really impressive. and it, It looked significantly different to me as a coach. It looked very different to me than it has in years past. In years past, it wasn't uncommon to see that between fourth and fifth place in a race, you might have a one-minute time difference. At these trials races we just had, times were really tight. Those races were incredibly competitive. It was so challenging at the end when we were naming teams when a lot of those last spots came down to three different athletes who were within 1% of each other and percent back after three races. That's incredibly close, and it shows things are getting more competitive. And my job is to make that even harder for these athletes in the future. We want to see it even more competitive and the times even closer. And we need to continue, continue working on that to get there.
0: I know that the organization has been really focusing on getting more women involved in the sport. You did see strong numbers at Mount Itasca for women in that trials event. Where do you see that going? And do you feel that you're on a pretty good path right now to expand the number of women in the sport?
1: Expanding the number of women in sport is definitely a, a big goal of ours at U.S. Bathon. It was great to see a record number for us in Mount Itasca. We had 31 women there competing. And really, really nice to see some fantastic up-and-coming athletes who I, who I wasn't really familiar with before this trials event, to see them coming up through the system and doing really well. And again, back to the competitiveness of those races, that women's race for those last team spots, for all of the team spots, really it was tight. It really came down to the last race and it, it could have gone to a lot of different women. And that was just really, really cool and inspiring for, for me and everyone at US USathlon to see.
0: That's uh, really good to see. We're going to move on now to our closing Fresh Tracks segment, and I've just got a few final questions for you as we wrap things up and talking about athlete development. I want to go back when you were growing up in Lake Placid. Who who really provided inspiration for you? Did you have a role model uh, when you were a young boy that you looked up to and as a sport hero?
1: I think I got a lot of inspiration as a kid from my coaches. I, I feel like I was really really lucky. To come up through the programs when I did and just had the ability to work with some fantastic coaches. To that, a couple, I hate to name only a couple because there were many, but some that really come to mind for me growing up my coach Al Barrett, Chris Seymour, and Corey Sumla, U- he was at US Bathlon at the time. They made skiing fun all of the time. I had opportunities to play a lot of different sports and I did play a lot of different sports, but I always wanted to come to either Bathlon or ski practice to be with them. And uh, it's, it's amazing what kind of impact a great coach can have on an athlete's career.
0: You know, we often look around the country at hotbeds of particular sports. Uh, there's something about being in a community that has other athletes. And you had the benefit of growing up in Lake Placid in an environment where there were many athletes, not just from your sport, but from others. How important was that local community environment for you as a young athlete?
1: Yeah, again, I, I feel really fortunate to have grown up here in that community where, you know, athletics plays such a big part in this community. No matter where you walk through town, you're reminded of that, whether that's walking by the, the speed skating oval, looking up, seeing the ski jumps or the bobsled run, you know, athletics is a huge part of this town and this community. So growing up and being exposed to that from a really young age, I certainly feel was was a big advantage for me.
0: And then one last one, and I know it's difficult to ask you, you know, what's your favorite this or your favorite that, but as an athlete development leader, what does give you the most satisfaction in your job today in working with all of these amazing young athletes?
1: It was so fun to call those athletes that qualified for our teams and chat with them and let them know that their, their hard work paid off and they would be headed out soon on an international trip. Hearing that Excitement in their voices was really, really inspiring for me to hear. And uh, those are the calls you you love to make.
0: When you make those calls, are you talking to the athlete or the
1: parent? Usually to the athlete directly. Yep. So try and call the athletes. Let them know before they, you know, see a team announcement in a, in a press release. And a lot of them, you know, they they don't know what the final result was. They haven't seen the final points list, so they're really not sure if they're on the team. Or, or off the team. So when they get that call, I think when they, when they hear my voice, they're probably a little bit nervous. Oh, what's, what's he going to say? But when they realize they've, uh, they, they've made the team to, to hear that excitement, that surprise, it's a, it's a special moment.
0: It is. It is a special moment. Uh, it's an emotional one, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. It is. It is definitely an emotional one. You can, you can hear in the voices how much they wanted that, how much work they put into that, how much work their team put into that. And to accomplish that you know, at, at, at a young age like that, that's certainly something we look forward to seeing more and more of here in the future.
0: Tim Burke, we appreciate all that you do for U.S. Biathlon. Thanks for joining us on Heartbeat. And all the best to you and your athletes the rest of the season.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom. It was a, a pleasure to be here and look forward to coming back maybe after the
0: season and discussing all of these trips and how they played out. Awesome. We'll talk about all that success. Tim Burke, Athlete Development Director for U.S. Biathlon. We're seeing some really positive signs with a vibrant development atmosphere at U.S. Biathlon. It will be exciting to watch the results from Youth Olympic Games in Pyeongchang and also the Youth and Junior World Championships in Estonia. Stay tuned. We've had some great interviews on Heartbeat this season, including Grace Castingay, Margie Freed, Campbell Wright, Maddie Fanoff, and many, many more. If you want to check back to your favorite podcast platform, you can catch some of these past episodes of Heartbeat. Heartbeat is brought to you by U.S. Biathlon and its dedicated team of sponsors. A special thanks to Aarons, the King of Snow, Maloya, outfitting the U.S. Biathlon team, and Paul Smith's College, offering education and sport training in the heart of New York's Olympic region. And a shout out to all of U.S. Biathlon sponsors, including Maloya, Aarons, Paul Smith's College, Auto Aider, Lapua Ammunition, Rain, Pure Mountain Spring Water, and Polar Beverages. That's it for this episode of Heartbeat. If you can, give us a review or hit the favorite button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes as we continue to tell the stories of the people behind biathlon. I'm Tom Keller, your host for Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. We'll see you again soon.